Hello, everybody. My name is Rob O'Sell, filling in for Tracy Lee for another episode in our series about engineering leadership. I'm here today with uh, Matteo Colina, uh, the co-founder and CTO at Platformatic. How are you doing today, Matteo? Very good, very good, Rob. It's, uh, uh, I don't know, weather is not super nice in Italy, but uh, things are, you know, going fantastic in at Platformatic. So I'm very very excited to be here today to to talk a little bit about uh, our company our my role all the things so very you know um i'm excited that's great well first and foremost i guess can you can you introduce yourself kind of uh what platformatic is and kind of what your role is uh at the company i am co-founder and cto uh, of platformatic i co-founded this last year with a friend of mine, Luca Maraschi, which is based in Vancouver. I'm based in Italy. Hi. And so we are one of those fancy new distributed company, no office, uh, uh, a lot of Zoom or Huddle now, probably more. But, you know, um, it's great. And what we do, we are um, a backend development platform. So uh, you can use our open source tools to build uh, uh, APIs, uh, both OpenAPI and GraphQL. It's, uh, um, everything is very easy to use, comes uh, with all the batteries included. And if something is missing, please open an issue. We'll probably, it's probably if it's not there already and, uh, and we need to work a little bit better on the docs, it's probably something that's going to be shipped at some point in the near future. Well, uh, we promise this whole episode won't just be running down all the features of Platformatic, but there is a feature that you released recently, which when you were telling me about it, I was absolutely fascinated by. So could you kind of explain to people what it was that uh, y'all just uh, released last month? So we, um, we have uh, unveiled a, a new technology, something that was not possible before. It's... Um, uh, it's a breaking change detector. So you can... Uh, when you open a PR in a microservice system, it allows uh, you to receive a nice comment saying what's the risk of that change breaking your production environment, which is very, it's very interesting because it uses data from it uses data from uh, your open telemetry open telemetry production uh, systems. So you don't you take you know telemetry data. And then we use that data to create, uh, construct uh, a topology of the services or of how the services interact with each other. And based on some um, not so fancy algorithms, you, uh, we can essentially understand, given a given change, uh, how that is impacted in your microservice and all the paths that of the calls of your mic between your microservices allowing us to you know give you a nice number in the end oh this change is going to break production with your break i don't know 20 percent of the user or is there a risk to break uh, the risk of breakage to the end user is 20 percent i you know i i find this fascinating this idea of tooling that's used by or that's based on real data i i you know i remember seeing a library that was uh, announced by Minko Getsch about uh, using Google Analytics data to do code splitting in intelligent ways based on how your users actually progress through the site. Um, you know, can you explain to me what the alternative is and sort of why you've gone this route? Like, I feel like 
you know, this seems like such a powerful concept for engineering organizations to, to make decisions based on real data, but not all libraries work this way. So, you know, what, what is that trouble that people have uh, doing this historically? And, and, you know, why did y'all decide to go with this route? So, um, well, historically, most of those tools do, um, most of those, historically, most of those tools uh, are based on uh, uh, a fixed uh, set of information, okay? So they do not know the whole world, okay? And, uh, and this is problematic because it limits the usefulness, okay? If it only covers the services that you know about, well, you can actually knock on those people's door and tell them directly, like, this is going to be to change. The, the interesting part of this is this is, a, this is based on live data, so it means that it, it maps services that are uh, execute, that, that you might not know are calling your API. So, and this is the powerful fact, okay? You don't need to know who your clients are, the system knows. So you can, if there is a breakage, you can tell, detect it immediately, okay? And know exactly what other routes are, what other microservices, but not just what microservices, what other routes of those microservices will be impacted so that, you know, the fix can be very straightforward and help and be done in a swiftly way. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be exciting to a lot of the people that are listening because when yeah, whenever you are dealing with those hard configured elements, to some extent you're doing modeling, right? I mean, like that's the that's the idea. You're saying that uh, conceptually yeah. this this is going to work. You know, you know, uh, it, my my planning, my 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 math maybe says that this is a reasonable model of reality, but nothing's a better model of reality than reality. <laughs> and you know, if you can eliminate that sort of model, I won't call it risk, but that model difference, that payment you pay for kind of modeling reality, that's that's an exciting piece to remove of uncertainty for a team. Yeah, essentially, yes. Okay, it's. Uh, uh... It's uh, essentially, that's exactly it. So I am uh, uh, pretty stoked by the by this. So it's pretty fantastic. So. I, I was really taken by the idea that you described this tool as giving you the risk that a given PR would, would break uh, for your users because oftentimes you don't hear about tooling geared in the direction of risk. A lot of uh, engineers, you know, surprisingly, don't really deal with this concept of risk. So, can you maybe describe why y'all decided to build this tool and and make it deliver a concept of risk? Why couldn't you just say it will break or it won't break? This is safe or it isn't safe. Absolutely, they don't. It's all zero and ones for devs most of the time. Okay, uh, for them, something either work or not work. Okay, but uh, the typical. But that's not how ma management is done, okay? Everything is a risk. And I tend to make this, um, to show this, uh, to explain to developers that like every single thing that you publish online is a risk, okay? If you don't want to have, if you have no risk, you need to, to do anything, okay? You keep them shut down, okay? If you want, if you don't, but to be honest, life is always a risk. If you want to exit the, the 
the the door in the morning, you have a risk of uh, getting hit by a car. It's very low, but there is a risk. Okay, there is a small percentage of that that can happen. If you look at the stats, you you will go nuts. Okay, you will um, really, really, really go nuts on on that front. So it's um, and but a lot of devs don't. And while management are used to stay in the and they completely ignore the problem. And uh, and maybe just work their job and say what they're done, but never think about the cons big consequences of what they do. Management instead typically is all about risk, is all about percentage, is all about what the, the likelihood that these things to happen, and as a result, these other things will happen, and then we will have a lot of huge success or not zero success. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, right? Because when you deal with sort of sometimes engineers. Yeah, they are dealing with more certainties, or they might come up and say, hey, I found this edge case of this code. If you can make this happen, and then this happen, then then the system will explode. And sometimes as a leader, you have to say, sure, but who is this person that's doing that? How likely is it for that to occur? How can they get those things to sequence in quite such a way? Um, and you know that can be a way that leaders uh, help prioritize things. Um, but you know, it is, it is fascinating, right? Cause when engineers see this level of risk, they might, you know, when they get a report from your system, uh, you know, could you describe how you might expect an engineer to do this? Cause some engineers might see any risk less than a hundred percent to be zero. And some people see any risk greater than zero to be a hundred. Uh, and you know, sort of leaders have to kind of find the way to understand yeah, the, the, the important the part is knowing the things. Okay, is knowing the 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 impact. Okay, typically you want it to be zero. Okay, you want to not break anything. Okay, so. Um, but if there is something that we detect breaking, it is breaking. So you 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 really want to go and update the things. That's great. I'm kind of curious with your teams. Like, do you do you try to help uh, like your engineers? get a broader understanding of risk? Or do you think that this is something that largely should be in the realm of leaders and maybe isn't something that needs to sort of broadly uh, it's, it's understood? It's something that you can expect from your most uh, uh, senior staff, okay? But not something that uh, you would expect from a junior mid-level or even senior developer to some extent. So you typically, your more senior, your more senior staff should understand this okay um i'm talking more uh, about you know staff dash principal level people now you are a small startup so we don't have levels and stuff but there are people with way more seniority than others and you would expect that those seniority have a clear understanding and they can work in the in the shade of grays essentially like know that shipping something that's not perfect is better than shipping nothing and be able mm. to draw the line of, well, what's the risk of this blowing back up on us if it's not if it has these few bugs left, but we're launching early and or versus delaying, and what is the risk in delaying? And now you need to balance between those two things, and this always makes doing the work of a founder very hard because you need to always to balance those two things, okay? Nothing is perfect on one end and nothing is great on the other end. 
Yeah, and it's always funny that that like risk is often reappropriated for for like financial risk or trying to do something that's skirting the edges when realistically sometimes risks speed you up and sometimes they slow you down. Like that is uh you know the consideration of risk can speed you up or the consideration of risk. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a part of life risk. So risk is a part of life. Well, great. Uh, well, we, we are going to continue this conversation, but before we get back to it, let's have a brief word from today's sponsor, This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that specializes in application development and upgrading legacy systems. They've been trusted by companies like PlayStation, Capital One, Herman Miller, PayPal, and T-Mobile. Facing challenges with legacy systems and need to modernize, This.Labs has experience in enterprise migrations and upgrades, providing a detailed roadmap for modernizing your software solutions. Their engineering leaders are industry veterans with a deep understanding of modern technologies and best practices. Learn more about how this.labs can help you achieve your tech goals at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. And of course, thank you to this dot for giving me the opportunity to do this today. But let's get back to the show. So, Matteo, uh, we were talking a little bit before this about, um, you know, how Platformatic uses Node.js features. And uh, you were kind of mentioning how Y'all are kind of oftentimes some of the first people to be using features as they're coming right off the presses or as they're, as they're being released. Could you kind of explain a little bit about... Oh, so I'm uh, part of the Node.js stacking and steering committee. So I, um, to some extent, I know very well where the runtime is going. And we have funded and supported and sponsored quite a few of uh, new things that are coming out in the last few, in the, in the last year or so or anyway, supported as much as we could. And we have done, um, and at the worst case, we are just using them, using them where they're still experimental, they're still early on, and produce, give issues, bugs, bug report, fixes, and so on and so forth. So it's pretty phenomenal, and I'm pretty happy that we can contribute back to the Node project. Uh, awesome. features, features that we are using, uh, if you create, if you run your create our create dash platformatic tool to create a new platformatic app, locally in your system, of course, you will be issuing as uh, you will be uh, getting something that uses the test runner, the Node Core new test runner, okay, which is fantastic, okay. It's super fast. It's very lightweight and something that more developers should be using to test their node apps. And this just came out, okay? This is the new thing, one of the new things. Um, we are using all the new loaders API because of, uh, to implement auto reload and library load, which is fantastic to use. It's great. Even though they're being buggy to some extent, like the first release of node 20 that we could use in Platformatic, I think was node 20.7 in September, something like that. So we cut it very close and we keep finding bugs and more bugs and more bugs and more bugs so which is great to see and uh, and fixing them of course so uh, that's that's a great a great solution so yeah that's it essentially so i have well i i i'm curious like a lot of times when you talk to businesses you know we talked about the concept of risk and here you are talking about being on the bleeding edge of a platform i think a lot of teams might make the assessment hey if it's not thoroughly tested, if there's not documentation of the wazoo, if I can't point to five other companies that are already using it, that shouldn't be something that we're looking to use on our platform. You know, for you though, the calculus is different. So can you explain to me how- Yeah, well, I am a I, I, we are running at building a developer tooling company. 
So I am building with technologies that I think will be mature in the next six months to one year. So and that's the true sense. So that's the calculus. And I know that we'll, like, there are all the signs that they will mature. So um, that's the reason why I'm, we are going very heavily. Well, we, we are betting very heavily on the long-term feasibility, feasibility of the Node.js runtime. That's great. And I, I know like I've, I've been on teams that are they're using less mature platforms. And one of the things that inevitably will come up is a feature either maybe has a bug or maybe it has a, a portion of its API that's, uh, you know, that that wasn't fully doesn't fully work for your use case or wasn't, you know, needs a little needs iteration. So I'm kind of curious, like, you know, for a for a startup that, that oftentimes needs to move quickly, how do you factor in that time that's necessary to butt up against the rough edges of features that need additional work. Like how does that factor into the way that y'all do business and the way that you plan out, you know, your releases or your, your schedules? Like how do you account for that time that needs rework in the, the library itself? This is super hard. Okay. So you, you can't do it. Okay. You, you have to do it. Like for us, it's we have to do it. It's our, it's our DNA. Okay, if if it's if a fix is needed, we do the fix when the fix needs to happen. We don't do the fixes, the the, the patchwork, the the, the hot fix uh, on our code. We want the fix to be done where it should at the at upstream, as we call it, Node.js or Fastify or whatever library we are using. We do the fix there, not on our on our side. Uh, mostly because we are, we want to be good citizens of open source. So uh, we don't want to be bad citizens, and bad citizens are are the one that uh, lurk and pretend and never contribute anything back, even if they wanted to. So yeah, that's my that's the, the biggest problem. You know, it's really interesting to see a company that has. Uh, you know, contribution to open source as part of its DNA. I mean, I, I've spoken to any number of engineers that, that use these kind of tools and you're right, right? A lot of people often don't contribute back. Sometimes they will fork a repository and make the changes locally. And the reasons for that are a myriad. Some people don't feel like they're they're worth it or they're, they're intimidated or, or, you know, there's many other reasons. But like, uh, talk to me about why, I mean, I guess it's just from your history, just having that strong sense of, of open source, but what should other leaders understand about like the benefits of creating a sort of a team and a culture that sort of supports this up, well, upstream the, development? The fundamental issue is if you can fix your own bugs, okay, and if the community that you are working on with, the project that you're working with as a good maintainers community, they and you know they that can ship your fixes the fixes very quickly then you can have a virtual cycle where you are implementing something get shipped and in a in a much more in a very quick iteration which is it's great because then if you have a bug for a production problem or whatever you have somebody that already know that code base extremely well and can jump in immediately to fix the stuff most people don't don't realize how that how much that is. Most companies don't realize how much valuable it's that. Yeah, when it's a lot of times it's a lot cheaper to get somebody to maintain or to to add the fix to the upstream repository than it is to try to re-implement the entire library yourself. Oh yeah, to, big time to include the big feature. Big yeah. time, big time. Most people don't. 
you know, I was recently in a chat. Okay, so I don't know if you have been following, but the um, in the um, graphical API client world, there were a lot of changes recently with uh, the biggest players um, changing their monetization practices and or ranking up, increasing up the cost highly at a very high pace. And companies were very frustrated. And I was um, chatting with this company recently that were, they had, uh, uh, that they were like, look, okay, I have 100 people, okay? At, uh, with 100 people, I am paying 20, 90, $29.99 for each one. Let's make it 30 for, for, for each one of them. So this is... Um, a lot of money, okay, per year. Like we are talking huge money, okay? Well, significant money. Because if it's uh, uh, 30 for 100 people, okay, it's 3K per month, which you sum it for, for a year is uh, uh, you go at uh, almost for 42K per month, which is a lot of money still. Okay, it's a lot of money. It's not, you know, and uh, we are and started to get at a scale where, you know, you could potentially hire somebody cheaply to replace that system for the same amount of money. So now the question moves from being, um, you know, should I hire a, a, should I hire a junior dev to do this work or should I pay for those things? So it's, it's very fascinating. You were also saying before this uh, that one of the problems is that a lot of times these contributions are invisible to the organization um, in that people, like when they track KPIs or metrics, they only track changes to their own code bases. And so, you know, uh, that sometimes engineers maybe don't feel like this is a good use of their time, even if they were allowed to spend it because, you know, at the end of the year, there's like a chunk of their accomplishments missing. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, how do you, you know, how, how should companies understand you know, well, to, to, to value this for them. Companies will not um, be good uh, open source citizens until um, the, until the uh, contribute, until contributing to open source is part of the promo packs. So it's, if it's not a requirement for, for accessing a promotion, then people will not spend the time and do other stuff. You know, which is great, but not this. There you go. Yeah. I mean, well said. You, you get what you measure at the end of the day. Yeah. At the end of the day, yes, you get what you measure. <laughs> well, we're getting pretty close to the end here. Can you let people know where they can find you uh, and connect to you in the future? Yes, of course. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Matteo Collina. And uh, I also have a newsletter, a YouTube channel, and a Twitch channel. You can find my links at nodeland.dev. Wonderful. Well, that is going to be it for us today. Thank you, Matteo, for being our guest today. Thank you, everybody, for Thank listening. You. <laughs> we hope to see you next time. But as we close out, our sponsor, This.Labs, would like me to say to that, uh, remind you that to approach your most pressing tech challenges with confidence, 
Uh, you can leverage this.lab's tailored development strategies. Trusted by industry giants like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile, they specialize in bridging business and technology gaps, modernizing legacy systems, and ensuring sustainable application architecture. Discover how this.labs can empower your organization at this.co. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O. Thanks again. We'll see you all next time. See you next time.